0: I have no idea how Justin uses this, so I'm not. In other words, you guys would get one slide and that would be all of it for the entirety of the service. Well, my name is, for those of you guys who don't know, my name is Thomas Schaefer. I am the new youth pastor here at Houston. Uh, we've been here. My wife, who is, is sitting right over here, and then we have two sons, uh, Axel, who is three, and Crew, who is a year and a half. Uh, we've been here since late October, uh, and I just wanted to just real quick uh, say thank you guys so much for for making us feel so welcomed and inviting us in and welcoming us in, and making sure that we feel a part of this community, a part of this family. You guys have done that incredibly well, so. Uh, as a congregation, well done. You guys have, have crushed it on that. Uh, before we get into the text, uh, the kids fundraiser picnic thing that's happening in a couple of weeks. Did you guys hear the line about the pies from Gloria's Kitchen? Everybody, everybody caught that, right? Okay. I just wanted to be sure that everybody caught that. Because if there's one thing I've learned since October, it's that if Gloria cooks, you go. That's what I've learned. Uh, and along the lines is uh, nobody gives enough credit to Mateo's beard. Okay, that that beard is incredible. It's fantastic. Uh, nobody gives him enough credit for that. All right, so we're going to just jump straight into things today. Uh, we're going to be taking a break from Deuteronomy, as Justin told you guys last week, and we're going to be—he was told me effectively preachers' choice, which is a dangerous thing to tell people. Uh, but nonetheless, he told me, and so we're going to we're going to jump into the New Testament, and look at what we all now know as Peter's denials. I'm sorry, this microphone is moving all over my ear. I cannot get it to stay put. Uh, so if you, uh, if you have your own Bible, grab it. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 26. If you're going to use the Bibles uh, that are sp- scattered throughout the room, uh, you're going to be on page 652. Or if your Bible has a flame on the front of it, you're going to be on page 833. Do you, while you're turning there, let me kind of set the scene for you. Okay, we are in Passion Week, which is the last week of Jesus's life. Uh, it starts with the triumphal entry. All right, he rides into Jerusalem on a donkey. They're laying palm fronds, shouting Hosanna. All of that, and it ends with his crucifixion a week later. It's kind of a, an emotional roller coaster for Jesus. Um, in that though. Uh, Jesus has been speaking with the, with the crowds, and he's been confronting the religious elite. Hey, there's a bit of a ring up here. I don't know if you guys hear that. Um, I don't know if maybe my gain's up too high or something. I'm not sure. Um, but he's been speaking with the people, and he's been confronting the religious elite. Uh, and I think that's an important distinction for us to make he confronted the people, and he he, he argued with the people who had been heaping more and more man-made laws on top of God's people just to keep them from breaking God's laws. They were just trying to create some barriers uh, to stop people short of of problematic stuff, but in doing so, they just created for themselves a pocket-lining, ego-giving, position-building place. And so what we find is the only people that Jesus ever really goes after, so to speak, are this religious elite. And it kind of makes me think of this, this phrase I learned in middle school, which is nobody ever became a Christian because they lost the argument. You can't argue people into the kingdom of heaven. You can't debate people into the kingdom of heaven. You can love people to Jesus. You can, you can conversate people towards Jesus, but you can't yell people at Jesus. That's not how that works. I think, I think so often uh, we have a tendency to do one of two things, and we're going to talk about this a little bit later. We either don't speak or we shout, as if those are the only two things, When well, those are two ends of a very broad spectrum. Anyhow, let's, let's keep going, though. So then we, we have the Last Supper, or what becomes the Last Supper. Jesus uh, meets with his, with his 12 disciples in the upper room, and before anything even kicks off, he takes off his outer garment, wraps a towel around himself, and he washes his disciples' feet, which is just wildly unheard of. Servant, or, or, or masters don't wash the servants' feet, it's the other way around. But Jesus does it to show that he has come to, to serve, not to be served, and to set an example for his disciples then and for us now, that we ought to be about the same thing. We have come to serve, not to be served. And it's something I don't, to, I don't want to ignore, but we're not going to spend a lot of time on it. I just want to make sure we all hear it. Jesus washed Judas's feet too. I've been seeing a lot of, of bumper stickers or, or, or Facebook theologians saying that, that Judas ate too, and he did. He did get to eat Passover with Jesus, but I think even more importantly than that is Jesus washed Judas' feet too, knowing what was about to happen. Jesus and the disciples then go on to the Garden of Gethsemane, where Jesus says, hey, pray here, I'm going to go over there. He calls back several times, finds him asleep. Jesus is arrested. Then at his mock trial, Jesus barely speaks, and when he does speak, He is kind, and he speaks truth. This plays back into the you can't argue people into the kingdom of heaven thing. When he does speak, he's kind, and he reveals truth, and we ought to have the exact same expression when the world comes at us. We ought to be kind, and we ought to share truth. And that has almost nothing to do with what we're going to talk about today, but it kind of leads us into where we're going. So Matthew 26, we're just going to read the the last passage starting in verse this happens on the same piece of property that Jesus is being tried on. So Peter shows some bravery here, and we're going to get more credit where credit's due. Peter shows some bravery, and that all the other disciples, as Jesus said they would, have scattered. Peter shows up. Peter pretty shows up, he follows Jesus, he follows uh, the, the arresting train and goes to the place where, where Jesus is going gonna, is gonna to face his, his sham or his mock trial. Okay? Bravery where bravery is due. But we give Peter some grief here because although he shows bravery by being there, we criticize him because all it took was a servant girl to show up and say, weren't you worth Jesus? And all of a sudden the bravery is gone and he's out. But I think we're, we're ignoring or we're missing a key, a key line that we didn't read, but we're going to read it right now. Uh, back in, in verse 58, you don't have to turn there. I'm going to read it to you. And Peter was following him at a distance as far as the courtyard of the high priest. And going inside, he sat with the guards to see the end. See, this wasn't just a servant girl that came up to Peter and said, weren't you with Jesus? I mean, she did say that, but he's surrounded by guards. These are the guards who either helped arrest Jesus or co-workers with those who did arrest Jesus. So he's not just face-to-face with like a 12-year-old servant girl as, you know, probably a 28 to 31-year-old man. Uh, He is surrounded by Roman guards, which I don't know if you've ever watched Gladiator, uh, but the Roman guards are, are typically people you don't try to mess with, right? They're, they're, they have a reputation for a reason. So this, this girl comes up to him and says, weren't you, with, weren't you with Jesus? And Peter, I don't know if he recognizes that he did this. I have to speculate there. But he, I think he finds himself a loophole. Because he doesn't say he doesn't know Jesus. He says he doesn't understand the question weren't right. you? Weren't you with Jesus? I don't know what you're talking about. I don't understand your accusation. I don't like your tone. All right? He, he, it's kind of a it's kind of a soft denial, but loophole or not, it's denial number one. Peter then then moves from the inner court from the courtyard to the entrance of the courtyard to try to create some space between him and his accuser. But in doing so, he's also created space between himself and his Savior. So, so we have Jesus over here in the inner courtyard being tried, right? And then we have Peter here in the courtyard, and he gets accused. So he moves to the entrance of the courtyard. Again, trying to get away from his accusers, fair. But in doing so, he's moved away from Jesus as well. We're going to come back to that in just a moment. In verse 71, and when he went out to the entrance, another servant girl saw him, and she said to the bystanders, this man was with Jesus of Nazareth. Now this time the servant girl, different servant girl, doesn't come up and accuse Peter. She kind of talks to the people around Peter. She says, well, this guy was with him too, right? This time Peter's denial is a little bit more overt. Right? He, he denies it with an oath, he says, he says, and again he denied it with an oath, an oath, I do not know the man. Right? Now translated, this might upset a few of you, translated what this really says in modern English is, I swear to God, I don't know him. Now I know we don't like that phrasing, but it's what the text says, I can't get around it, right? I'm trying to help you understand that that Peter's gotten a little bit more overt. He's gotten a little bit more aggressive in his denial. But in doing so, he's sworn an oath. And that oath is in violation of what Jesus himself has said back in the Sermon on the Mount. You see, back in Matthew chapter 5, starting in verse 33, it says, again, you have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not swear falsely, but shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn. But I say to you, do not take an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by the earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. Do not take an oath by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. Let what you say be simply yes or no. Anything more than this comes from evil. So swearing an oath here does two things Peter, the first thing is it calls into question the integrity of everything else he has said up until this point without an oath. See, because if it takes an oath for you to tell the truth, which he wasn't, but let's put let's that aside for a second. If it takes an oath for you to tell the truth, then anything you say without an oath can't be believed. Right? He, he's, he's, he's inserted a, a lack of integrity into his own life. All right, now the second thing it does is it shows the wickedness or the evil or the, or the weakness of Peter's flesh. Right, if, if Jesus has said back in, on the Sermon on the Mount to do anything more than yes or no comes from evil, then Peter's swearing an oath is showing that although he knows who Jesus is, although he has declared that you are the Christ, the Son of the living God, this the same Peter, Uh, he now now is is showing that his flesh is still evil. He he still has a sin nature that he has to deal with, that he has to wrestle, that he is going to need help to continue to subdue. But Peter isn't quite done yet. After a little while, verse 73, the bystanders who the servant girl had spoken to, came up and said to Peter, certainly you too are one of them for your accent betrays you. Okay, so, oh, I'm sorry, i got to read one more verse. Then he began to invoke a curse on himself and to swear, I do not know the man. Okay, so, well, I would love to tell you that this would be like, you know, someone from New York or, or Boston coming to El Reno and trying to have a conversation with any one of you uh, when nothing they say is right right, coffee and a water is is multiple words, just in case you were curious, Um, well, I would love to tell you it was more like that, it was probably more like someone from Minnesota coming to El Reno and trying to have a conversation with any of you, most of what they say sounds right, but but bag has an A in it, regardless of how they say it, you know, it it doesn't, there's not an E in the middle of that, and so every now and then, they're going to say a word that sounds a little off, and they're going to, wait a second, you're not from here, Where are you from? Let's talk about that for a second because that's a conversation we should have. It's the same thing happening to Peter. You see, save for one, all of the disciples were from Galilee. Now, all of these disciples, Peter included, are in Jerusalem, which is a Judean culture, and they had different regional dialects. They had different accents, right? So they go, they hear him speak, and they go, you're not from here. You're from where he's from. That can't be coincidence. You've got to be one of his guys. And Peter gets aggressive. He gets aggressive. It says, began to invoke a curse on himself and to swear, which again, translated into modern English, I swear to God, God, strike me down if I'm lying. I don't know the man. Peter's getting real feisty. Because he knows every time he's accused of being one of Jesus' guys, his personal safety is threatened. Peter does this really aggressive, unnecessarily aggressive, which kind of points to guilt, denial, and then immediately the rooster crows. Now, when the rooster crows, it sends Peter back to a conversation he had had with Jesus just a few hours before. In Matthew 26, starting in verse 31. Then Jesus said to them, You will all fall away because of me this night, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd, and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But after I am raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. Peter answered him, Though they all fall away because of you, I will never fall away. Jesus said to him, Truly I tell you, this very night before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. And Peter said to him, Even if I must die with you, I will not deny you. And all the disciples said the same. So this is, this is at the dinner before Jesus is arrested. And he goes, Guys, you guys are all going to bail. Before sunrise, you're all going to bail. And Peter, the loud mouth, like hothead that he is, uh, steps up uh, and, and, and kind of throws the rest of the disciples under the bus. Even if they all fall away, not me, not this guy. I'm your number one, right? Who's got two thumbs and not leaving you? This guy, right? And, and Jesus lovingly, I'm sure, because he, he, he speaks kindly and he, and he reveals truth, looks at him and goes, Peter, listen. Before the rooster crows, you're going to outright deny me three times. They're just going to run away. You're going to deny knowing me three times. And then Peter can't shut his stinking mouth. And he says, even if I have to die because of you, Jesus, I'm not going to leave you. And then all the other disciples are like, well, we can't not say that. We all say the same thing, Jesus. Jesus. Right, they can how, how are you going to be the guy who doesn't follow that up? Like, oh yeah, I'm. I'm I might leave you. I don't know. You can't be that guy. So he, Peter's kind of put them in a spot, right? Peter's personal safety is, is threatened three times, and each time he denied Jesus to save himself. This being the guy who said, "I'll die with you, Jesus." He denies him for, for three times to save himself. Now, in theory if Peter would have had a couple of his boys with him, right, let's just say James and John, let's just go with the, the inner three, if, if, if Peter would have had these guys with him, in theory, he may not have denied Jesus. Right? He may have been a little bit more bold. But regardless, he didn't. But the question becomes, when we apply this to our own lives, it's easy for us to claim Jesus when we are surrounded by friends, family, and loved ones. See, in those environments, we are, we are safe, we are loved, we are insulated, we are protected, and we are in an echo chamber where everybody sounds just like us. And that's very, very safe. And it gives us a lot of self-confidence. But how boldly do we declare Jesus' name when that safety net is removed? How, how loudly do we claim Jesus' name when our lives are rattled and our dreams are, are shaken and shattered on the floor in front of us? When the world caves in, are we still going to muster all the strength and courage we have left to declare that Jesus is good and worthy to be praised? when there is no apparent reason to do so, do we still worship and serve Jesus? When everything in us is saying, walk away, when our fight or flight response is saying, run, you cannot win this one, do we still muster up the courage? G- Judas betrayed Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. Peter denied Jesus to save his own life. Do we betray Jesus in the form of silence? And for what? Fear, fear of rejection? Fear of, fear of losing popularity? Fear of, fear of offending people? Now listen, I, I don't want you, don't hear what I'm not saying. I'm not saying go and be offensive just for the sake of being offensive. We have enough of that in the world. Don't add to that. Okay? But the gospel is offensive because the gospel is exclusive. The world says all the paths, pick one, it doesn't matter, they all go to the same place. But the gospel says there is one path that goes to the, goes to the place you want to be. And all the other paths lead to death. Okay, the gospel is offensive. Let it have its offense. You don't need to add to it. Just let the gospel be offensive enough for you. But we can't stay silent. You know, none of you will have known this because, well, why would you? We're new. Uh, But I have a heritage of pastors in my family. My great-grandpa, my great-great-grandpa, and my father-in-law were all pastors. And while that could just be a fun trivia tidbit about Thomas for you, uh, what it also means is I'm slowly inheriting all of their libraries. For those of you who don't know, pastors have an unreasonable amount of books. Some people have, uh, some modern pastors have gone digital because that weighs less, and you don't have to like, put special footings in your house to hold up the weight of the tomes that, that take up your library. Um, but there's, there's nothing quite like the smell of an old book. right? And so while I could read all this stuff online for free, I've got this, this set of Matthew Henry commentaries that my great-great-grandpa used. And again, I could read it all online. It's all free. It's all available. It's all easier to find because I can search it. But there's something about smelling this book printed in the 30s you know, My office, there's a corner of my office that just smells like old book, and sometimes I just stand there. But there's also something cool about knowing that my great-great-grandpa used this book to help write his sermons, and I'm using it to help write my sermons. And so that's just, you know, fun family connection for me. But I want to read you a passage from this Matthew Henry commentary. Now, again, this was printed in the 30s, but it was written in the 1700s, and you're going to hear that because it sounds real old. Why, Peter? Canst thou look upon yonder prisoner at the bar and say thou dost not know him? Didst not thou quit all to follow him? And hast thou not been the man of his counsel? Hast thou not known him better than anyone else? Didst thou not confess him to be the Christ, the Son of the Blessed? Hast thou forgotten all the kind and tender looks thou hast had from him, and all the intimate fellowship thou hast had with him? Canst thou look him in the face and say, that thou dost not know him. Matthew Henry wrote that to Peter, 17-ish, 100 years after Peter's death. But I think the same question can be asked of us. Are we willing, with our silence, to look Jesus in the face and say, I don't know you. Canst thou look him in the face and say that thou dost not know him? when I was reading through this commentary to write this sermon, I had to stop when I read that line. And I had to repent. And I had to pray. I had to cry a bit. Because I'm just as guilty as Peter. And I would, I would venture a guess that many of us would fall into that same category from time to time. <laughs> I want to call back to... Peter creating space between himself and his accusers, and, and him, but also himself and Jesus. As Peter moved away from Jesus, he found it easier to deny him. Remember, when he was as close to Jesus as he started, it was a very soft denial. And he moved away, and it was a more overt denial. And he spent some time further away, and it became an aggressive denial. And I, and I think the same can be found true of us. Right? When, our, when our prayer life wanes because we're tired, it's a lot easier to let that slip further than it is to wrestle it back. When our study of God's word kind of falls off because we're busy, it's a lot easier to keep using that excuse than it is to just create the time necessary. When we don't intentionally spend time with Jesus... It's easier to not hear his voice, to remain silent before the world, denying him with our silence. And in a world that is dead and dying all around us, our silence is deafening. For some reason that I will never understand, God has decided to use us to take his message to the world. That seems wildly inefficient to me, but I'm not God, so I'm just going to have to trust that he knows what he's doing and I don't see the big picture. For whatever reason, he has decided that we are to be his messengers, and it's up to us to take the gospel to the world. A former pastor of ours, who we were we sat under, and we lived in San Diego, recently moved to Houston, um, and his his first Sunday at Houston, uh, he he used this line just to really set the tone. Um, He said, "If everybody is sharing the gospel at the same rate that you're sharing the gospel," Do you think that's sufficient? A little gut chat from Pastor Todd. Our silence is deafening when we don't speak. We don't have a rooster to crow to to call our attention to our sin, which is good. That'd be very loud and very messy if we all had to carry roosters with us. There's a rooster in my neighborhood, and I hate that joker. Gosh, every morning when I'm taking the boys to school, and luckily I can't hear him from my bedroom, but even when I'm taking the boys to school, I'm like, I mean, if he died, I wouldn't mind. There would just be more eggs in the world for us to eat. I'd, I'd be okay with me, but we, we don't have roosters to crow to call our attention to our sin, but we do have the Holy Spirit. Peter recognized his sin, and Scripture says that he, he, he left that place to go weep Bitterly, Which is just a, a very nice translation Where he went outside so he could ugly cry away from everybody Are we so appalled by our sin That we would weep For the grief it causes the Father Judas and Peter Both denied Jesus They both betrayed Jesus but their stories could not have ended any differently. Judas' life ended in despair very quickly. Peter is reinstated. If we read in John chapter 21, verses 15 through 17, after Jesus has been executed and resurrected, he makes... He shows up and he makes breakfast for his disciples and, he says, and says in verse 15, When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? And he said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, Feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, Tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. <laughs> Peter denied Jesus three times, and here Jesus gives Peter three opportunities to claim him instead. Peter recognizes this connection and is grieved in his spirit. And this is why I think he opens the third response with, Lord, you know everything. Because I, think, I mean, Peter knew that Jesus knew what he had done because Jesus had told him he was going to do it before he did it. But now Peter knows that Jesus knows what he had done and he recognizes what Jesus is doing and he's hurt. And so I think when he says, Lord, you know everything. He's not saying, Lord, you know that I love you. He's saying, Lord, you know everything. I can't hide that from you. You know what I've done. You know that I, that I denied you three times to protect myself. You know I, I, I turned my back on you three separate times. You know how aggressive and how evil I was in my denials. Lord, you know everything. But you also know that I love you. And I, and I messed that one up. Jesus then reinstates Peter, publicly bringing him back into the fold of the disciples and, and forgiving him for his betrayal. Peter, or Jesus extends grace and mercy to Peter. This is good news for us because it shows Jesus welcomes back failures and uses them in their imperfection. And that's good news because if he didn't welcome back failures, there would be no one. Right? and I, I use this all the time with our students, there's not good people and bad people, and, you're, and you, you just hope to fall this end of the spectrum. No, there, there's bad people, and then there's Jesus, and then we're just all over here. right? right? So if Jesus didn't bring back failures, it would just be, there would be nothing. Right? He brings back failures, and he uses them in their imperfection for his purposes and for his glory. But even still, that doesn't give us license to just live in imperfection. We could take that really easily and go, okay, well, if God's going to use me no matter what I do, I'm just going to do what I'm going to do. Paul addresses that. Should we continue in sin so that grace may abound? No. You are a new creation. Live like it, paraphrased. We ought to strive to remain strong. Strive. To, to not deny or betray Jesus with our silence by and through the power of the Holy Spirit. We have to strive to live in the confidence that Peter had after his reinstatement. You see, Peter denied Jesus three times. After the recognition of this sin, the weeping and the repenting and the reinstatement, he never denied Jesus again. He spoke and declared Jesus boldly, publicly, and consistently until the day he was murdered. The Peter who denied Jesus three times is the same Peter who, who stood up and preached at Pentecost and saw 3,000 people meet Jesus. This is the same Peter who led the church at Jerusalem for decades. This is the same that, Peter that was martyred in Rome in AD 64, about 30 years-ish after Jesus was killed, resurrected, and ascended into heaven. And all of this... From somebody who denied Jesus three times to save his own skin. Peter's life was one of great significance for the kingdom because he recognized his sin and he vowed never to make that same mistake again. Peter's life was one of of global significance. You and I's life may never get to the, the, the size of Peter's life, and that's okay. Truth be told, I would rather history forget me and remember Jesus. But just because our lives may not have the same impact as Peter's life on the same scale, as Peter, doesn't mean that we aren't called to have impact on the people that God has placed in our lives. You see, I've, I've said multiple times, we can't remain silent before the world. We've got to speak. We've got to share the gospel. We've got to show Jesus' love to people. couple of sayings. <laughs> People don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. I think there's a part B to that. People don't care how much you know until they know how much you care, but if you care, you'll tell them what you know. St. Francis of Assisi once said, preach the word always, when necessary, use words. And I get the the heart behind what he's saying there, but I disagree. He's saying, let your life share the gospel. And it's true that your life may be the only Bible somebody ever reads, but your life can't just be action. We're not called to quietly live our lives in front of people. We are called to live our lives in front of people We're also told to go and tell, right? Go unto all the nations, teaching them all that I've commanded you, making disciples. This requires verbal action. We cannot continue to remain silent before the world for fear of fill in the blank. We've been called to claim Jesus publicly. We have an example of what it looks like when you don't do that. It doesn't go well for you. Peter never makes that mistake again. (laughs) As I said, Peter was was martyred in Rome in 64 AD. He gave his life for the sake of the gospel. Which quite literally means it could be said that he gave his life, he counted not the cost of what it of what it takes to follow Jesus. Let it be said of us. Let it be said of our lives that while never perfect, we counted not the cost. You can put whatever you want on your headstone. All right. Phoebe Buffet told us that. Okay. I would love for my headstone to read He counted not the cost. Go. Share the gospel. Be ready in season and out of season. Be, if this is what it takes, be the only Jesus the people in your life will ever see. Don't waste opportunities. Speak up when given the opportunity. But do so like Jesus did at his trial, when we speak kindly and we reveal truth. Jesus, we thank you so much for today. We thank you for who you are, what you've done, and what you're continuing to do. God, I pray that we would take the example of Peter's life and and, and Peter's mistakes, and we would see what happens when we deny you. We would be able to, to learn from his mistakes so that we won't make the same ones. Now let us be a people that don't deny you with our silence, but a people who will speak up, will speak kindly, will show your love to the people around us, but we will do so as we speak and reveal truth. Let us be a people who lovingly share the gospel with every single opportunity you place in front of us. So that it may be said of us, the end of our lives, they counted not the cost. Jesus, we love you, and we thank you. You all receive this blessing as, as you go. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May he make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May he lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Amen. You guys have a great week.